When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Carlos Marti from Puerto Rico, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, thanks very much, Carlos, in Puerto Rico, for your lovely, lovely intro there. It is... 2.15 in the morning in Melbourne. Less than an hour ago, Matt and I were in the post-match press conference of Daniil Medvedev. Just over an hour ago, we were in the post-match press conference of Felix Auger-Aliassime. Less than an hour before that, Daniil Medvedev was on court doing his post-match victory interview with Jim Courier telling him that when he was two sets to love and match point down, he asked himself, what would Novak do? And it was the answer to that that won him the match and uh, a whole load of boos from the Rod Laver Arena crowd. An hour before that, Daniil Medvedev was match point down to Felix Auger-Eliassim and going all the way back about 15 years ago, (laughs) Felix Auger-Eliassim led two sets to love over... The very strong favourite for this men's Australian Open title. And we were all, I think Daniil Medvedev included, in a little bit of a state of shock, Matt. Certainly at two sets to love to Felix Auger-Aliassim. I did not see that coming at all based on the past matches they've had which have been pretty one-sided in Medvedev's favor based on the form they've both shown this tournament Felix had improved he really had since I'd watched him in the first two matches but I still didn't really think he would trouble Medvedev all that much and I must say I was blown away with the tennis Felix produced in especially in those first two sets but really for most of the match I think it's the best I've seen him play um he was he was smoking the ball, wasn't he? The way he was hitting it, and there wasn't there wasn't any suggestion that he was going to start shanking in the in the early stages. He was he was reading Medvedev. He was serving fantastically well. Medvedev couldn't get close to his serve. He was acrobatic at times on the sort of leaping smashes. He had it all going on. It was it was the perfect performance for two sets. And I was I was really shocked by it. And Medvedev was as well. He couldn't find his game by contrast and and he said after the first two sets that he had he had zero confidence was the line he he gave in press because he wasn't playing well and Felix was. Best I've seen Felix Auger Aliasim play David we'll come on to to why he ended up losing the match and both he and and Medvedev bear bear responsibility for that but for an awful lot of that match including uh the fourth and fifth sets it was the best I've ever seen Felix or Jarelia seen play yeah he he was the player that I think we we all thought we were going to get about two and a half years ago when he first burst on the scene. He was the one we were all excited about. You could just see the ingredients of what we've seen as a sort of fully completed meal, if you like, tonight. Um, and it was it was pretty much perfection for, for, for as you say for two sets. And even even thereafter, I, I'm I'm not particularly perturbed by the fact that he didn't win I saw a different man a different player tonight I saw the player that 
I hoped we were going to get and that I really worried that we weren't going to get the last year or so. Um, the balance, the poise, the athleticism, the strike on both sides, the damage you can do with the forehand, but it was controlled aggression. And it was it was kind of all those sort of combination as of other players that we've we've talked about him him potentially being one day. He's got the perfect physique, six foot four, sort of one meter ninety-three, but broad shouldered, totally balanced. And yeah, I thought he was fantastic tonight. Uh, I'm he didn't win. I'm, I you know, that that's another discussion point, but still I, I think that this is a massive step. If you were new to tennis, if you if you were a freshly hatched chick in the tennis world, you knew nothing of any of the players or anything like that, but you understood sport and sort of athleticism and you were asked, which one of these two players is the best in the world at the moment? You wouldn't vote for the daddy long legs flailing around up the other end of the court, looking frankly underpowered for, for lots of that match. I mean, he was underpowered. There's There's... There's no question Felix auger has far more power than, than Daniil Medvedev. It's, I think Medvedev's ball is deceptive. He described in, in one of his press conferences a few days ago how he, he spent a lot of his training working on the ball not losing acceleration after the bounce. So it skids through. So while it might not be as quick in the air as, as a lot of other people's ball, there's, there's something about the way it, it bounces through to the racket. So look, it's it's just a different style of play, but it looked like man against boy. And, and the man was, you know, the guy that hadn't won a Grand Slam and had, 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 had never pulled off anything like he so nearly pulled off tonight. And <clears throat> in terms of regrets for Felix auger Lassim, he did say, he was pretty frank in press, actually. He came quite quickly, not sort of a a straightaway knee-jerk press conference. He looked like he'd had some time to to sit alone, rocking back, back and forth in a state of despair in the locker room. Um, but he was quite reflective, actually. He said, look, of course, there were things I would go back and change. But when asked, I think it was by um, Willie Weinbaum of ESPN, um, if there was one th- actually no it wasn't it was in french wasn't it was it? French, it was in search yeah. fire it was search fire the uh, the belgian journalist in french that asked him if there was one regret that you have from the match what would it be and i expected him to deflect that question because that, that's an awful lot of sort of quite specific processing about the match which i thought maybe he hadn't had a chance to do that and he gave a brilliant answer he said look it's it's not the match point because Medvedev took the racket out of my hand on the match point. He just served a bomb. He did what champions do from from match point down. He just prayed three sublime points, sort of the foundation of which were was his serve, which he found just when he needed it. But Felix auger seems said his regret was was the start of the fifth set, was losing serve at the start of the fifth set and actually squandering... Was it one break point he had on the Medvedev serve in the very first game of the first set? You know, Medvedev roars back from two sets to love down. He goes off court at the end of the fourth set, which is an interesting move. I mean, I think he just had to because his kit was so soaked through. It, it was, I think, his second or third kit change of the match. He was he was a sweaty, hot mess. <laughs> but it was an interesting thing to do given how much the momentum was in his favour. And actually... It was Auger Eliassime that that had regrouped while uh, Medvedev was off court and he came out firing and he had chances to seize back the momentum and that is the regret. And I think think he's right for that to be the regret, actually. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Medvedev did take the racket out of his hand on the match point, so it's it's difficult to regret that. Um, I never felt like... Felix Auger-Aliassime started playing the wrong way or started doing the wrong thing. You know, I think, you know, it's it's an easy comparison to make, but to compare it to his fellow Canadian yesterday, who also lost in five sets, I thought there were times where Shapovalov just got it wrong. Whereas I don't think Felix did. I think he just didn't quite execute when he when he sh- could have done, when he should have done, when he needed to, perhaps at small moments. And and the start of the fifth set was one of those. And Medvedev getting that break so early 
did slightly for me take the tension away from the fifth set. I always felt when he had that break like he was going to win it, like he was going to close it out. Obviously, Felix got very close to breaking back right at the end um, and there was some there was some real drama there at the end. But just once Medvedev got ahead, it was always going to be very, very difficult for Orger Aliassime, I think. But just as you said, it feels like this is his first real big moment on the big stage. I mean, I know he's beaten Zverev at Wimbledon. That was a very, very good win. But, you know, it was it was Zverev on grass. That isn't the same as Medvedev in the quarterfinals of the Australian Open on a hard court. This was, this was a level up and he played really, really well today. And Hannah departed us on WhatsApp with a question of, of whether he has changed his tennis DNA or confirmed his his tennis DNA. And I was really thinking about this when I went to walk to the tram, only to find out that we were too late for the tram and we ended up having to get official transport home. But I was sort of ruminating on this question and and I sort of came out with a bit of a get-out clause if... If DNA has two strands, oh god, <laughs> then I think he, I think he I changed. Don't like, I don't like this. I think he changed one strand, and that was the level. Like I didn't think he had that level to to go toe to toe with Medvedev. But we also saw the strand that has, I think, cost him in finals. When it gets tight, when it gets tense, does he necessarily find his game? That was the thing he said was different about Medvedev. When it matters. He played his best tennis and Felix didn't quite. I think that's great analysis, Matt. Podcast-worthy analysis. Good good stuff, but it's not an answer to Hannah's question. I think it is. You said the answer is both. I genuinely think it is. But I don't think DNA is about tennis level, is it? Why not? I think DNA is about who you are. Well, part of who Felix is has got to be having the level to... Because if you don't have the level, then you know. Let's oh, let's let's uh, let's hand this uh, hospital pass over to the the man that that casually casually tells people they should change their DNA like it's nothing. Uh, David confirmed or changed his DNA tonight, Felix Auger Eliasim. I think we're in the process of it being changed because I don't think that that result was down to him. I think it was wrestled from him in the end by somebody who is a stone-cold killer of a champion and who, when his back was against the wall, when he was cornered, he came out swinging. He came out fighting. He tried to knock Felix's block off, frankly. And that's what I love about Medvedev. He just goes for it. He doesn't think twice. He doesn't consider the consequences. That's why he was, frankly, offering Stefanos Tsitsipas out for a fight when they had that row a few years ago. He doesn't worry about the consequences once he's in that situation. It's scary. Uh, he frightens me a bit. But as a, as a champion with his back against the wall, that's what happened here, is he wrestled it off Ojeliasim and... Maybe, maybe Ojeel Yassim will end up not having that in him to be able to 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 withstand that in the next ten years. We we don't know for that for sure, but I think he showed enough tonight. He stayed with him long enough for me to think that he will he will get that last couple of percent in the future. Every great champion has lost a match like this, like totally, and it's. I mean, he said it as well, didn't he? It's something you sort of just have to go through, I think. And he was he was very impressive speaking he was. after he the match. Took actually. it with a lot of grace, didn't he? He and, did an analysis, and... but, but was also thoughtful. Yeah, I thought, and uh, you know, obviously gutted. Um, but uh, he he did very well indeed, actually. And I I'm still I still have concerns over the closing. I do. I think that record in finals is a problem. I think there was a hint of that tonight, that that whatever it is that, that causes him to freeze a little bit in the big moments. But overall, I think it's progress. I think it's DNA progress. I definitely don't think he confirmed his DNA. I think he shifted 
mm. a little bit Actually, tonight. Just, just on the um, on the finals thing, I think his big goal now should be to use the next five months until the French Open to find a tournament to win. <laughs> just <laughs> just find anyone, play any two fifty. Then that's putting that's pulling the pressure on, isn't it? That's massively. You know, if the issue is. The, the pressure and the tension, I, I think it might happen, you know, when he's least expecting it, although that I'm not sure do. when that'll ever be because I, I his expectations should... of himself are so high. I mean, I think he should play plenty you, are and Are you saying, David, it. he should go and play Newport, Rhode Island? No, because that's too that's long after. away. Yeah, <laughs> okay. he needs to find Marseille well, or something like that. With all respect to all tournaments on the ATP calendar, we love them all. What tournament might you advise Felix Auger seem to enter? Mets. <laughs> okay. Right. Is, is, there, um, is there anything before Indian Wells? Is there any American hardcore tournament? There's, there's, there's that Indian Wells challenger, isn't no, there? That Kyle them. Edmund won. He's won challengers. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's Acapulco. Yeah, that's t- but that's, that's a, a five hundred. Acapulco a gets a decent field, field yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah. Dubai, maybe okay. that gets a good field. Met- you know, Mets it is. Off to Mets you go, Felix. <laughs> When's that? I don't even know when it is. Imagine, what if, imagine if he plays plays and doesn't win it. Now that's that's. Mind you, I think we'll revisit the DNA question when he loses first round in Mets. Mets might be in September for all I know. I can't remember. <laughs> can't remember. <laughs> uh, any anybody involved in the organisation of the Mets event? Um, no, no offence intended. We're no. not going to get a credential there, are although we? probably lots received. <laughs> um, uh, what about Daniil Medvedev? Then I mean, there's so much to say about him tonight. I've never seen him that. We've seen animation from him on the court. We've seen plenty of that agitation, frustration, you know, hijinks. But I've never quite seen that level of like real pumpedness um that we that we saw from him tonight it was like someone had ran a jolt of electricity through i mean it was nothing like what we were seeing from felix or seem it was like a you know a, a more sort of gangly <laughs> version desperation of that. he was he was yeah he he was he was right up against it um and i think there's a part of him that absolutely loved it Obviously, he loved coming back and winning in that moment and and everything as well. But I think there's a weird part of him that enjoyed being down and the challenge of that. I mean, I didn't get the first question in the press conference. It went to Chris Clary and rightly so. But I was going to kick off with, I'm guessing you weren't bored tonight, Daniil. (laughs) Because, of course, that's what he was saying throughout his previous match against Maxime Cressy. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's his... It's his troll energy and troll character, isn't it? I mean, he was down, but he then just made life a nuisance for Australia. Seem he he took pleasure in the comeback. He took pleasure in extending the rallies and just making it difficult for Felix to finish it off. And he took great pleasure in whipping up the crowd. And yeah, I, I really think he did enjoy the sort of comeback and the way that match progressed it did sort of suit his his character quite a lot i think he, you know, he ever in other, two in sets to love down before yes david yes. it's funny you should ask that david there's no well i mean we could mention this without mentioning something else but it was it was marek Shilich on the night billy jean king and alana kloss came over oh, for cool. curry mm. yes <laughs> <laughs> which we paid some attention to before switching over to the football. Correct. Um, so what about Daniil Medvedev then? Uh, in terms of uh, the trolling, the troll element of him, he confessed, I think he confessed, uh, when I asked him about whether he was mimicking the very distinctive and unique grunt that Felix Auger Eliassim has. And he he said he said with a glint in his eye, Well if I was then I wasn't doing it on purpose, but that is a thing that I do. Oh wow. He said That's... he said he said all of all of my friends kinda hate me for it. 
because if I spend any time with anybody, um, <laughs> then I end up copying them and mimicking them. And so he said, I wasn't consciously doing it against Felix tonight, but but maybe I did. There was definitely a spell um, when and he then, was, and then I, no question. Oh, he was. He was. And then I cheekily followed up with, uh, so so what are you going to end up doing in two nights when you play sit to pass? And he, he didn't rise to it. He said, well, I won't be hitting one-handed backhands, that for sh- that's for sure. <laughs> um, I thought Great he might questions. make a bullshit, bullshit Russian joke, but alas, <laughs> nobody was rising to the bullshit Russian bait today. We did try. Um, I don't have to apologise to your mum anymore for swearing, David, because we now know she loves it. Yeah, but sometimes my kids try to listen, and so, you know. Well... <laughs> They'll learn eventually. They already um, know these words. That's he, the annoying thing. He, um, Your son he, goes to football matches. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, he, he wrote on the camera, not tired, another troll. Um, he said after the match, didn't he, look, you know, we'll see tomorrow. He said, right now I feel okay considering the amount of tennis I played, but tomorrow will be the acid test. Uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas, his semi-final opponent today, I mean, he was Barely on court. Sit to pass against Sinner. 6-3, 6-4, 6-2. It was less close, I think, than that scoreline suggests. I mean, it was a a shock to the system, I think, for Yannick Sinner, who really thought he had a chance today. We all did. Everyone on pole vault did anyway, um, because, because they were led astray by, by the Me tennis and Matt podcast. Both, um, we predicted he would win in four sets, Sinner. Uh, Matt, Matt and I did, and uh, so I was very surprised, really taken aback. Well, that, that's the best tennis that Sitsa Pass has played on a hard court in a really long time, I think. It was breathtaking. He was incredibly good today, and part of the reason I predicted him to lose was because I hadn't been that convinced by him this tournament. You know, he'd, he'd struggled, he'd lost sets. He, he did very, very well to come through against Taylor Fritz, but I didn't think it was anywhere close to his best tennis. And he flicked a switch today right from the start. From the word go, he was intense, he was focused, he was very clear in his thinking and what he was trying to do on the court. And Against Fritz, he hit so many backhands. We commented on it, and lots of them were sliced backhands. And it felt like Fritz was getting the rallies he wanted. Well, today, Sitsipas was getting the rallies he wanted. He was getting his forehand into play like I haven't seen him for a long, long time. And to do that, he just had to be so intense with his footwork. And he's so he's a big sits a pass. He's, he's, he's a big presence on the court. And when he's like that, he smothers opponents that the way he covers the court is so impressive. And yeah, I, I mean, he, he stood toe to toe with Sinner's power. It didn't seem to phase him at all. He put Sinner under pressure. He came forward. He, he moved brilliantly. Honestly, he looked unbelievably good today. I think certainly the best I've seen him play since the French Open last year. And obviously that was on clay, which I think is a surface which which sort of accentuates the positives in his game even more. I was was blown away with his level. It was the kind of level that makes you think, well, he's a slam champion in waiting, really. It was it was that good. He he was asked afterwards, David, was that the best match you've played all year? Uh this this was the first question, sort of the opening gambit from the moderator just to get things off off, off, off the, off the, what's, what, get, get thing, get things up and running, um, and uh, he sort of balked and said, uh, "Well, I think it's, I think it's too early to say that." Um, <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> you completely for misunderstood the question there, Stefanos. And then it's, I said, it's "A sign of things to come." And then I sort of said, "I tried to repackage that question, even though it was a perfectly good question." Said. How much better is that? How much better do you feel after that than any of the other matches you've played this tournament? You know, how much better was that performance than the others this tournament? And uh, he was pretty dismissive of that question as well. He sort of said, well, yeah, obviously my um, my tennis speaks for itself. Um, and look, he's right. His tennis did speak for it itself today. He was brilliant, but I wanted his perspective on it. Um, and uh, his, yeah, he's... 
It's a weird vibe in his press conferences, isn't it? It's a, it's a, it's a weird old time. Mm-hmm. Um, so may, maybe we'll just let his tennis do the talking and not bring you sit to pass press conference news <laughs> in future episodes. Yes. Um, uh, unless he rises just... to Matt's, Matt's bait about his relationship with Medvedev. Oh, yeah. How, how did that go, Matt? Not brilliantly. Um... <laughs> <laughs> well, to, thi- to be fair, to be fair, David, no one's questions went brilliantly in that press conference. No. The thing is, at the time, we didn't know who his semi-final opponent was going to be. And very often, journalists will just ask for a sort of comment on both players, you know, so they've got a quote on, on both of their players and I totally understand why why that happens, but I very rarely think that sort of elicits much of an answer because they don't know, so they're not going to go into much detail. So I just thought, okay, Sitsapas has got history with Medvedev. He doesn't have history with Felix Orjuali as seeing in bullshit quite the Russian, same way. Bullshit Russian, bullshit Russian, bullshit <laughs> Russian. We all were. Uh, <laughs> which, I, which, I, I can't it, deny... If if anybody hasn't followed that story, that was what Medvedev heard Sitsipas say to him when they played in Miami qualifiers or years ago, wasn't it? And then that led to Medvedev telling him to shut your fuck up. Shut uh, so, your and, fuck up. Yeah. An all-time iconic tennis quote. <laughs> yeah, Official and, number and then, one and then of asking tennis podcast him, aggro, wasn't it? Yeah, and then asking him for a fight. On the court, um, so that that's that's the history that matters. And it, I mean, that is no exaggeration. That is exactly what happened. And we we play it over and over again whenever we're bored, really. Uh, so we know we know it very very well. Um, but uh, yes, <laughs> didn't sound like he was too too happy to engage in the uh, in the conversation, Matt. Well, so I said, what is your relationship like now with Medvedev? And also, what's the challenge of playing him on a hard court? You know, the, he lost to Medvedev in the Australian Open semi-final last year. And he said, why specifically Medvedev? He knows why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I said, well, because Medvedev's the favourite for that match against Felix Auger-Aliassime. Got away with that one, didn't I? Um, and... Sitsapas said, well, what did he say? The relationship's okay. He said, he he said, said it improved it's after the Labour Cup, but we haven't spoken for two months. Honestly, <laughs> the way he said it was telling in itself. I mean, their matches have not, unfortunately, elicited much aggro actually recently, but I really don't think they like each other. And it, I don't think it would take much for bullshit Russian energy to be no, reproduced and I am not. hoping for it. It sounded like the sort of situation to me where you think everything's fine with somebody and then sort of after a few weeks or months you realise you haven't heard from that person and then you check and you realise they've blocked you on all platforms. <laughs> um, that's that's the vibe I got. But who knows? Who knows? <laughs> um, I, I can imagine what that is they really happen don't in that match. Under- I can imagine that they really don't understand each other very, very well. Just approaches to life they're so different but i mean j- no, just they um, are they're different people just going uh, just very quickly on on Sitsipas, I, I i was taken by how he just jumped on sinner and he he was dismissive of him he was he was it was halfway between laughing at sinner's power and using it against him and and I just wasn't expecting that. I was expecting Sinner to be able to dart away at him and and cause him all sorts of trouble. And it was as though Sitsabas had done a Berrettini against Alcaraz for the first two sets and just got offended by all these suggestions that this was going to happen and just went out there and, and took it personally and just decided to go and kill the guy. And I mean and and his ability to play offensively off the def- the defense when he's pushed out wide when he's on when he's had a big shot hit at him the way he just turns the table and hooks that forehand cross court and he still has enough spin on it to get it in no matter how hard he hits it he is an, the most extraordinary athlete and and mm. i think that is underestimated in him uh, at times even though we think he's of him as a good athlete he's an extraordinary athlete really is mm. is a is Sid Sipas. And and look, if it you know, 
if on Friday it's it's Medvedev playing the tennis he played today and Sitsabas playing the tennis he played today, then Sitsabas wins. But Sitsabas has got to do it again. He's, ten, he's, tennis doesn't work like that, and it's matchups and it's he's you know got to come it's out bullshit Russian though. energy and yeah. There's no um, point in him trying knows. to rally with the guy. He's got to swing. I was just trying to help out Netflix with their storyline, <laughs> quite frankly. They're not filming Medvedev, though. Yeah, well, they are filming Sitsapas. Yeah, I reckon and Matt's going to be in, on Netflix. They'll get hold but of that pressure. you can't presser. say it, or you'll, uh, you'll sound like, like Sitsapas. <laughs> I'm definitely going to be in the finale of Drive to Survive. Quote. <laughs> a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Right then, what, what happened in the women's matches today? Uh, we have our full semi-final lineup. We know it is Barty Keys. That'll be the second of the two semi-finals tomorrow. And before it will be Iga Sviontek against Danielle Collins. Uh, two pretty different matches, these. Um, Collins beating Elise Cornet 7-5-6-1. First set was a contest, um, you know, Classically, Zay Corne, she just wouldn't go away. She came onto court somehow with even more strapping on her thighs than she had had in the previous round, at which point her thighs were extremely heavily strapped to the extent that I thought she was just wearing cycling shorts. Um, but she, she added an extra layer to that strapping today. It was sort of mummification territory. Um, and she she really did give it some welly, but... Uh, Collins Power, I think, told in the end it was it was considering the conditions and some of the tennis that we've seen in these conditions over the last few days. It was really clean tennis from Danielle Collins today. Really was. And actually, I think her game style suited the conditions better. I spoke the other day about neither Cornet nor Halep having having a point ending shot and that just being so difficult in the heat because you have to take you know kind of take the scenic route to try and win win rallies and points and that just takes it out of you physically Collins does have point ending shots I mean lots of them it could be her serve it could be her forehand it could be her backhand it can be anything on return she 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 can just take over a point quite quickly with her with her power and I think that helped her today I think once she got through a really tight first set as you said where 
where it sort of crackled, didn't it, right at the end, where Collins, Collins started yelling out, let's go, and uh, Cornet was giving it the alley, just sort of one after the other. It was, it was what we hoped it would be for a, for, for a brief moment of the, the, the sort of competing intensities. But once Collins came through that, she just had way more to give in the second set. And actually, that was something she really commented on, wasn't it, in her press conference about how much stronger physically she is now, all the strength and conditioning work she's done. She said compared to her semi-final run here three years ago, if she had to sort of point to a difference in Collins, the tennis player, it's that. She feels like she she's more dur she's more sort of durable on court. Her her energy, her power lasts longer and in really tough conditions today, I think I think we saw that over over Cornet. She's consistently interesting in press, is uh, is Daniel Collins. There was no sort of killer line today. I just find her really engaging and interesting. She's a little bit she she's a little bit different, I think. Um, you know, she spoke, she spoke once again about the surgery that she had last year and, you know, she had that surgery seven weeks before the French Open. She said, I had the surgery, I did seven weeks of rehab and then I played the French Open and a couple of days ago she told us, um, that she came back far too, far too quickly. Um, she probably shouldn't have played that French Open, but, you know, she talked about how long it took to, to get the diagnosis of endometriosis and while I don't think there's any, any bitterness in her she she definitely is aware of time time lost in that period um and a feeling of of what could have been you know she she did point out that she's still you know pretty early in her tennis playing career she's only been pro four years she completed um the full course didn't she of her athletic uh, college scholarship and she was she was the number one college player by the end of uh by the end of her degree, but um, yeah, she said she said she was not quite gaslit, but you know, told told that she just, was just a person with heavy, heavy periods, or told that this was just something she had to manage, etc. and etc. And goodness me, emotionally, that must just be yeah, all a lot to deal with. And um, she's she's fascinating on it, and she she said that um, she thought it'd be. Just generally a good thing if periods were were more talked about, were talked about more openly, and sort of as a result, researched more thoroughly as a factor in athletic conditioning and training methods and all the rest of it. You know, it's a it's an enormous thing that happens to fifty percent of of athletes, fifty well certainly fifty percent of tennis players, and um, yeah, as always, sort of male is default, isn't it? So. Um, CC Caroline Criado Perez and her uh, brilliant book Invisible Women, women, women rather. Um, yeah, the male body is treated as default, and therefore research into into those kinds of areas tends to be underfunded and um, <clears throat> under spotlighted. Not a word, but it's late, folks. Um, and she's just really interesting. She's a, uh, she's yeah. probably one of the most well-rounded human beings in tennis, I would say, because she's had a life that wasn't just tennis and being a prodigy and she, you know, she had to ha- had it difficult at times, I think in her upbringing, she had to really scrap in order to get her college tennis life and her and she was very determined to get a, a qualification that wasn't just around tennis as well. And, and she's got a degree and she blooming well fought her heart out for that, worked hard and made sure she got it because she wanted to make sure she had that as a, as a backup. And that if tennis doesn't work out, doesn't matter because I've got this. And I just feel like she's lived life beyond tennis. And, and that makes her that much more interesting and open when it comes to conversations like that. Mm, absolutely and she was asked what was most satisfying for her about about this achievement obviously it's not her first grand slam semi-final she's she's done it here before but she said it made her think of her childhood and the sacrifices that her father in particular made in order for her to be able to to play tennis and 
you know, she said the hours that he would spend on the road just taking her to competitions and practices. And she told a little story about how, you know, she used to, she used to train before school. And one day um, he couldn't take it because he had a, he had a cold. And she said, God, at least let me, at least take me out for a run. Like I need to do some kind of training. And she said he hopped on his bike while she ran alongside him just so she could, you know, get some training in for the day. And yeah, it was a lovely little story. Um, so Danielle Collins then through to a second Australian Open semi-final. She, of course, achieved it uh, three years ago. She lost out to Petra Kvitova that day. She will face Eager Sviantek, who defeated Kaya Kanepi today in in a marathon. 4-6, three hours and one minute. She wrote, hashtag tired, uh, on the uh, on the camera. I think that's our tournament motto, isn't it? Thanks <laughs> for the support. Hashtag tired. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was an extraordinary match point. If you have the opportunity to watch match point, I highly recommend you do so. The the clip of it is doing the rounds. It was just extraordinary defence into attack from Iga Svantec. It was a point that she had absolutely no right to win. Um, and it kind of summed up the match really uh, in lots of ways and kind of summed up this whole run for her because it's so different to her run to the title at the French Open in 2020 when she just blasted away all before her. She was she was sublime. It was two weeks of absolute perfection from Iga Svantec. And this run, whether it ends here or goes on, has been very far from that it is you know that it has been up and down and you know that is a big part of the learning process for Shrontek and she talked about that today she said she said you play your best tennis a couple of times a year I'm trying to be okay with not playing my best and winning anyway yeah because I think when when you have a breakthrough, that's so often what people associate with you for a long time. And I think I probably was guilty of that. I was thinking, well, Sviantek blasts her way through slams, you know, because we've seen it. She's capable of it. But that might be the best slam she ever plays in terms of level of tennis for a whole week. It's, it's unrealistic to expect her to do that every time she plays a slam. And she, I think she's coming to terms with that as well. And as you said, she, she's figuring out the process of winning matches when she's not at her best. And she said she's been getting better at finding solutions on court. She's really, she's really taken um, a lot from the fact that she's won from a set down in in the last two matches, something she hasn't got a brilliant record of doing on tour either, away from the slams of, of sort of figuring out matches when she's not playing well. So I think there's quite a lot of satisfaction to take. Obviously, you want to play your best and it's brilliant when everything is going perfectly. But yeah, it's just not going to happen most of the time. So winning like this is is absolutely vital. And look, she wasn't at her best today. 12 double faults, you know, in particular, she really struggled on serve and she was very close to losing in straight sets. You know, Kanepi had her in a, in a second set tie break, but just when she needed to, I thought she cut out some of the unforced errors. She, she started extending the point. She won a lot of the long rallies in the second set and, and in the third set as well. And yeah, it's a, it's a really great achievement to sort of, fend off someone of Kanepi's power when you're not quite playing your best yourself. It was a real sort of mental challenge, I think, for for Sviantek out there. And yeah, she she dealt with it really, really well. That's seven Grand Slam quarterfinals for, for Kaya Kanepi without reaching a semi-final, which I think, um, to quote a Matt stat from earlier or last year, was it? Would it have been around the time of Carlos Suarez Navarro's retirement, perhaps? Um, that equals Carlos Suarez Navarro's record of most uh, Grand Slam quarterfinals reached in the women's game anyway, without reaching a semi-final. But I'm not sure there are regrets for Kanepi, and I, I'm not sure, you know, I think overall... She's thirty six. She could she could very well continue to play for a long time, um, or, or certainly a time. Um, but you know, Grand Slam quarterfinal is. 
I don't know what I'm trying to say, David. I'm I'm trying to compliment Canepi and I'm I'm worried it's going to come out as a sort of backhanded compliment. It's extraordinary her record at Slams, quite frankly. Yeah, I yeah. really don't think she should focus on the, as much as I've just <laughs> just talked about it, focus on the failure to reach a, a semi-final. Mm. She has been an extraordinary Grand Slam competitor for 15 years. Yeah, and she's look she's another another corner if you like and yet she's done all, done the quarterfinals several times and but, but she's done it over a really long period of time i didn't realize she was 36 i mean she's an incredible athlete she's really so well conditioned and and has, puts the work in and just has had horrible injuries in that time and just keeps on coming back for more and and I tend to dismiss her as the the player who nobody wants to meet in the first couple of rounds, but doesn't doesn't do much when she when she's gone beyond that. But actually, that that's a really consistent record of of success um, several times, and she's had a career to be proud of, no matter what happens from here. Mm, yeah, I, I, I same. I'm guilty of thinking her as of it of her as a kind of plot device rather than a an actor or a, a character in her own right. And, you know, seven seven quarterfinals is absolutely nothing to be sniffed at. Um, incidentally, in just tennis being so completely tennis news, after Medvedev and Felix Auger-Aliassime finished their match, gone midnight, it was announced to the crowd that the mixed doubles semi-final between Hrdechka and Escobar and Furlis and Kubler would soon be coming onto court. Don't go anywhere, folks. I mean, everyone was literally going anywhere at that moment. And, and, and there was laughter. There was laughter yeah, when that was announced. People were like, oh, goodness me, don't be silly, was the feel of the noise that was coming through my TV because I heard that announcement and it, it, and it disbelief. is laughable that, and, and it's, it's, it's disrespectful really to, yeah, to, to that competition that, and to those players. That's one of the biggest matches of those players' lives and it started at 10 to 1 in the morning and we, totally we don't know why it wasn't, why it wasn't moved, don't know. Anyway, should have been something, yeah, you just, you just can't, <laughs> you can't have that happening. I know we're conditioned to sort of accept that tennis does do this to itself, but it really doesn't need to. Um, better news stories from today. Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reed defeated Shingo Knida and Gustavo Fernandez 6246-10-7 to win their third straight men's wheelchair doubles title and their ninth successive Grand Slam doubles title. Absurd. Absolutely wow. absurd. And and Al- Alfie Hewitt is going for the double tomorrow. He's in the, the wheelchair singles final where he'll also be taking on Shingo Kanida. And he's just an incredible story. If he wins tomorrow, I, I tend to try and speak to him because, you know, he's had such a tough few years um, with the threat of having the sport taken away from him, hanging over him, the threat of reclassification um, of his disability, rendering him unable to do his job, to do what he loves, to to do what he earns a living from. Um, But he has had the verdict that he will definitively be able to continue playing. And uh, he told Russell Fuller of the BBC in a piece on their website that he feels like a completely new person since his future in the sport was assured. And um, yeah, it's wonderful to see them winning. So he'll go in the singles final tomorrow. Um, Dida de Chut. And Anik Van Koot, they won the women's wheelchair doubles title. They defeated Yui Kamiji and Lucy Shuka 10-2 in the match tiebreak. That is their 13th Grand Slam doubles title together and their third Australian Open. And they will also face, face each other in the singles final tomorrow, which is Ooh. just one of those little twists that I love. I love that. And I, I always, I always want to just be there, you know, to hear the conversation on the day. You know when they get the switch over from the I'm doubles, sure it's all where, they're, where they're planning stuff, and then they're facing each other in the next match, or vice versa. Don't uh, you think it's all probably annoyingly lovely? Yeah, I mean, I remember we asked um, Alfie Hewitt that question at Queens a few years ago, and he really he, he didn't like the question. Did well, he? he really dismissed it because he said, "For us, it's not a big deal because we're always." 
in that situation of playing doubles partners and sharing a small locker room. It's, it's not like this. It's not like the singles where you know, uh, you know, they might team up with a doubles player, and it would be a really big deal if they met each other in the final. There's the, there's a smaller pool of wheelchair players, but yeah, not it like must Ivan be Dodig. A bit awkward. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, who was that? Who was his partner? I can't remember that. Oh, it was Polishek, wasn't it? Oh, mm. yeah, horrendously awkward. Um, the quad wheelchair doubles final was won by Andy Lapthorne, uh, the Brit, and his American partner David Wagner. They beat Sam Schroeder and Niels Vink ten seven in the match tiebreak. And Sam Schroeder will be the least popular man in Melbourne tomorrow. Spare a thought for Sam Schroeder. He's the guy that has to take on Dylan Alcott and his last ever professional tennis match on the Rod Laver Arena tomorrow in the quad wheelchair singles final. That match follows the special Ks onto court. Matt and I are electing to watch that on the telly tomorrow. Correct. Mm. Oh, I think that could be a cracking ticket. I might come out. It's over. on Rod. It's on Rod Laver Arena, but it is open to grounds pass holders. Is oh, our really? understanding? Now we're yes. talking. Yes, I think you might have to prove a certain level of boorishness before they let you in the stadium <laughs> for that, David. So I, I think I'll have a couple of beers, and I reckon I can do it. <laughs> yeah, two beers law would probably be granted entry. <laughs> Um, I think that is a wrap on your day 10 Australian Open tennis podcast. I'll just remind you of what's coming up in the evening session, Matt. Well, I was going to say, I mean, it's a good, it's a good women's singles lineup. I think you've got, you know, Barty really head and shoulders, the best player, I would say out of that group. But then you've also got Sviontek who's been there and done it. You've got Keys, who has this really high ceiling that we all know about, and we're sort of all wondering whether she can sort of find that level, keep that level up. And then you've got Collins, this incredible competitor. I think there's each one brings something to this lineup. I very nearly went to Keys in two in the newsletter predictions against Barty. Very nearly. Then How many points would you have got for that, David? I've no idea, but I was considering it. See what he's done here. He didn't go yeah, for it. Yeah, I, I see exactly what he's done. He's yeah. covered all bases. He has. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I felt I've, if I did that, that it would be wrong because I said that Barty would win the title. And that's why I ended up not doing it. See, I'm. You do that I all think, the time, though, that's David. That's quite honourable, I think. <laughs> mm. um, I've given you fake news, folks, by the way. It is Barty against Keys, of course, that is first up in the evening session tomorrow from 7.30 local time. That is, it's the Ash Barty slot, isn't it? I mean, first up, night session. Uh, and that's followed by Collins against Svantec. And then before that, it's the special Ks, not before 2.30. And then Dylan Olcott against Sam Schroeder. And first up on the Rod Laver Arena tomorrow is the women's doubles semi-final of uh, Aoyama and Shibahara taking on... The Brazilian Kazakh pairing of Danilina and Haddad Maya. So that's what's going on tomorrow. On the second court is where you will find mixed legends doubles, if that takes your fancy. Uh, and then 1 pm, it's women's doubles semi final. Krachikova Siniakova, they won today. They go again tomorrow against Kudamatova and Mertens. And then men's doubles semi-final, Ebden Purcell against Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury. So that's Ooh. tomorrow. Good doubles there on both of those Good matches. Good doubles. Yeah. And of course, the winner gets the possibility of taking on the special Ks. And I, I suspect there's a sort of, you know, a pact among the doubles players, you know, that they just want them to be beaten by doubles players, I think, because... Nick Kyrgios is going around doing interviews saying, you know, I I believe singles players are better than any doubles players. Um, I heard him say that in a Channel 9 interview and Michael Venus did an interview today. It's all kicked off, hasn't it? Yes, he called him a knob. <laughs> and one of the most beautiful <laughs> things about that, I mean, obviously... Michael Venus just... He did, mm. yeah. Oh. 
He called him immature and a knob. Yeah, it was <laughs> something like a knob with the maturity of a 10-year-old or something. Yeah, and the beauty is I don't think knob is an insult in Australia because knob has been misspelt in all the reporting of of that interview. Everyone spelt it N-O-B, like knob okay. of butter. Right. But as a connoisseur of the insult knob, it's K-N-O-B. <laughs> And it's a cracker. Well done, Michael Venus. Um, so, yeah, what was I saying? That's tomorrow. Uh, what about today? We have thank yous to give, don't we? We have our mascots. I've got Carter. David's got Darwin. Matt's got right, Gerald Darwin. the cat. Uh, Billy Jean has got Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our executive producers, Kyle Weingartner and Chris Albert Lee. I also want to thank again Carlos uh, and his wonderful accent in our intro. He lives in Boston, but grew up in Puerto Rico. Did what a voice he's got, right eh? there. Mm. Um, yeah, I didn't do it justice there at all, did I? He grew up an Agassi and Hingis fan, and now he likes Shiontek Radikanu, uh, Nadal Medvedev, and Alcaraz. I'm imagining Carlos has very much enjoyed this Australian Open. Um, and he says he's been listening to us for years and he's happy that he can now financially afford to support us and become a friend at intro level, which is just lovely. So thank you, Carlos. And if you want to become a friend at intro level, um, then you can do that. Become a friend. Um, all the details are in our show notes as are details of how to subscribe to our newsletter if you want to read the full exchange uh, between me and Daniil Medvedev about how he is inadvertently a sort of excellent mimic of everybody around him, then that'll be in the newsletter today as well as Matt's brilliant stat and all the rest of the brilliant content that newsletter subscribers get. Matt, we have shout-outs. We have Natalie Danziger. From Cambridge, Massachusetts. Oh. Is that Cambridge, Massachusetts, as in Cambridge where Harvard University is? Came just outside of Boston? I believe it is. If so, I have been there. And it Ooh. is leafy and lovely. Oh, I want to go. Mm. Right, Natalie. Thanks mm. so much for your support. Thank you, Natalie. We have Julie Igarashi Hickson. Oh, hello. Right, Julie. Love that who says her middle name is Japanese, uh, but she lives in San Francisco. Oh, I've wow. been to San Francisco as well. Oh, here we Love go. San I've been everywhere. I'm Catherine. I go everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Melbourne. It's so nice and hot. <laughs> I sat there with my hot water bottle and my cup of tea this morning at 4am. Anyway, move mm. on. It's so nice and hot, words which have not left Catherine's <laughs> mouth this week. <laughs> um, can you complete the triple, Catherine? We have Ted Eckers from Minneapolis. Oh, no, I haven't been to Minneapolis. Well, I've been to No, I haven't. Uh, Ted, <laughs> lovely to have you as a friend. I like the name Ted, though. And Ted also has a bonus dog. No, a bonus shout-out. His dog Gracie, a three-year-old oh. lab beagle mix rescue. Oh, love that! Wonderful. Oh, love that a lot. Can you send us a picture, Ted? That would yes, be lovely. please send us a picture, Ted. Please, Ted. Um, and that brings me to the last bit of business, which is to say hello to Charlie, our rescue beagle mascot, owned by Phil and Gina in Chicago, where I also haven't been. <laughs> so, you know, there's still time. Not as well-travelled as those first two shout-outs suggested. Uh, listen, folks, that's a wrap for tonight. It is 3.11 in the morning, Melbourne time. Matt's going to send a sheepish text to Simon Briggs and cancel their 10am tennis appointment. <laughs> David's going to go and do evening things because that's what time it is in Solihull. And I'm going to go to bed. And we will speak to you tomorrow after the women's semi-finals. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.